accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called For the Uniform. It's the 13th episode, lucky number 13, of the fifth season, aired on February 3rd, 1997. We're moving through the 90s quickly. Uh, it was written by Peter Allen Fields, our old longtime favorite, and directed by Victor Lobel. In this episode, Cisco obsessively pursues Maquis leader Michael Eddington. This is a continuation of the For the Cause episode that me and Clay both gave five out of fives the first time we saw Michael Eddington defect to the Maquis. This is kind of a follow-up uh, to that episode 18 episodes later or whatever it is, and we're going to get into it. Clay, how are you? I'm good. You can tell that Deep Space Nine is evolving Star Trek because they've decided to focus on a classic of literature other than Moby Dick. Yeah. They they go hard on uh, Le Miserable, which you have to pronounce mm. extremely <laughs> they, French. They go hard on it, but man, they just, they drag Victor Hugo on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, imagine if halfway through Wrath of Khan, Bones was like, honestly, I think Melville was full of shit. It was a, it was, it was a terrible book. Terrible, terrible. They really, just, really, fo re I mean, really focused on the mating habits of whales to like a point where it kind of just destructs the narrative a little bit. And you kind of start thinking about why he's really writing this book. But, uh, you know, you do what you got to do. They don't even stick with uh, Les Mis. They move on to no Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. They make fun of that, too. They're like, fuck all this guy's work. <laughs> it just, it yeah. just feels like an excuse to talk about how much he thinks Victor Hugo sucks. <laughs> all right, we're going to take a break, play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back, and we're going to break down for the uniform. This is about being taken off the assignment. It has nothing to do with a certain ex-security officer we both know. He worked under me for a year and a half. I saw him almost every day. Read his report. Had him to dinner. I even took him to a baseball game in the Hollow Suite once. And I never saw it. It's my job to be a good judge of character. And what did I do? Not only did I not see it, I put him up for a promotion. Ah! He played his hand well. <clears throat> he played me all right. And what is my excuse? Is he a changeling? No. Is he a being with seven lifetimes of experience? No. Is he a wormhole alien? No. He's just a man like me. And he beat me. Okay. I'll, um, I'll lead this one off, Clay. I think that this mm. is a tremendously frustrating episode of Star Trek. Mm. Um, I think that it has remarkable potential i think it's extremely mm -hmm. unique in what they tried to do with it mm -hmm. i think it has it has probably three or four things that i think really hold it back rather strongly um all that said i still think it's very good i think it's really mm -hmm. enjoyable to watch i think it's a great cisco episode i think it's good performances i think that the ideas are really clever um but it does have issues and i think we'll get into those issues as we move along but what did you think about for the uniform uh i found it frustrating because it goes to further my theory that the writers of Discovery only watched seasons five through whatever of Dis of Deep Space Nine uh, because they get the holographic communicator in this, which they very much talk about as a new thing. Um, but yep. let's we won't get it. Have to get into that. Uh, it looks the, it looks uh, more overall, like it looks more like the. Um, you remember that thing that they used to have for the Nintendo Entertainment System, which was like you put on yes. the ground and danced around yep. in it? Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's a very reminiscent yeah, of that. Yeah, honestly, it probably was one of those. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, overall, I really like this episode. I, I am probably on the same page as you, but I think the biggest potential with this one is I think they, this could have been a movie. Um, it has a lot of the stuff I really like in it. It has the... Uh, you know, I'm always talking about how the point of having overly powered weapons or overly powered technology is, is what happens when you take that away, which they do in this, which I really liked. By crippling um, the Defiant, you mean? Yes. Yep. Uh, the story is a, is straight up. It's not a revenge story, but it's it's very much like a Cisco putting his posse together to go hunt down a guy, which I feel like they've never really done in a Star Trek movie, I guess. You could argue Wrath of Khan, Khan does is, it a little bit. Yeah, it's a little bit that way. That's more accidental than intentional. Yeah, I, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, the only other one I could think that was close was maybe Search for Spock, but not for the same reasons. But it's it's a similar idea where they kind of hijack a spaceship, and it's it's more it's more believable in this than it was in Search for Spock. But like, there's I think that sort of um, uh, story would would could be a very cool movie, and I think there's a lot of themes in this that you could extrapolate larger to be very satisfying. But um, I think the thing that holds it back ultimately in this episode is just the uh, kind of the the budget, essentially, because mm. it's it's a it's a big feeling episode with a lot of big themes that takes place almost exclusive almost exclusively on the bridge of the Defiant. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff in it I really liked. Overall, I thought it was great. Yeah, I um I think we'll start this off with. Uh, what do you think of the Maquis at this point? I, th- I mm-hmm. think that the Maquis are kind of divisive amongst people who watch the series and all the Star Trek shows. Um, I like the Maquis. I think they make sense. The The criticism that I see most frequently against them is that they're kind of, they run into the problem that the, uh, the villagers in Star Trek Insurrection, the movie, ran into, which was mm-hmm. these people are kind of on this planet that would be, it would be really great if we could kick these people off because it would basically cure the Federation of Disease and things like that. Like, for mm-hmm. the greater good, maybe they should just move on. Um, the Maquis, the criticism there, and I think Cisco brings it up here, is that the Starfleet has offered them somewhere else to go and they haven't taken it and they instead choose to remain in this uh sort of badlands area where they are constantly having to commit terrorist acts against the Cardassians and the Federation whenever the Federation inter- interfere and people's mm-hmm. criticism is really um that their struggle doesn't make any sense i strongly disagree with that i don't know what you think about it and I, if you want to say your opinion i can sort of fill in the blanks if anything with what i think um I'll be honest with you, I don't really have much of an opinion on them at this point, uh, mainly because they come up so infrequently that I honestly, every time they show up, I kind of forget what they're about. Sure. Um, I, like in this one, it was, I was I was more interested in the Eddington th- story in and of itself, like the larger politics of it, I wasn't even, I didn't even really care about because it, it just, it, they're not present enough, so I don't really... Like, I, I figured it out as they were going through. It's like, oh, okay, so they're attacking the Cardassians and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, the 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 sides of the argument were pretty established, but, like, as far as specifics, I I don't really care about the Maquis at this point. Okay, so I'll, I guess I'll, I'll just flesh in uh, with, my, with my thoughts about it, is that I think that the, the show actually does a pretty good job of making the Maquis struggle believable. To me, like, mm-hmm. I feel that I understand why these people would say that they would stay behind and fight for these planets, even if they were given new ones and they could just move on. Uh, because I, I like, I think the theme is that Starfleet and the Federation kind of screwed them over. So they're a little bit bitter about that. And they also, I think that the show, in, in a world where you can have everything via the replicator, you can't replicate things like home. You know, and I think that that or love, like, right, or love, or great songs. Um, I think that you, <laughs> I, I think that the the show does a good job of giving them a reason to fight. That is something that is goes beyond just having material goods for you, like having a home mm-hmm. somewhere else. It, it makes sense to me that they would stay and fight because they've been screwed over by the government, basically, which is the Federation in this case, and. There would just be a thing of like giving like the middle finger to the Cardassians, like you can't push us around that way, and. Mm-hmm. I think that I bring it up just because the a lot of the central argument about that uh, between Eddington and Cisco depends on whether or not the Maquis are justified, I think. And mm. I think that the episode's better if the Maquis do have a justification. And I think that Eddington in this episode does a good job of justifying and coming across as a, a sort of noble person. He's not clearly evil. There, like, there is yeah. an intention behind Eddington that you can see why he's doing it and it makes sense on the face of things. And I guess I don't I I, I think it's gonna color the whole thing. So I'll just get it out of the way. What do you think the episode thinks about what Cisco and Eddington do in this? Um I'm not totally sure to be honest with you. Uh because I was really taken aback by the little end tag there where uh um Dax mentions to ask Cisco if he had time to clear it with Starfleet and he's like no and then she kind of like gives him the wry smile and says so uh, sometimes I'm I'm glad when the bad guys win yeah sometimes it feels good to be the villain or something yeah 
I, I don't I don't really know how I feel about that because I I totally understand the line of thinking that brought him to that decision, and I was shocked that he actually fired the torpedoes at the planet. I thought that was pretty intense, um, and it worked, but I was kind of expecting there to be a bit of remorse or like from Cisco or from somebody else talking to Cisco about realizing the line that he had crossed over in order to do that. Yeah. Uh, and a little bit more discussion there, but I think it feels like it was a matter of having to wrap it up essentially. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't love that end scene cause it kind of, it kind of makes it a little bit more uh, muddy as to what they were trying to say. Yeah. I think that the, I think it's a, a bad ending on this yeah. episode. What I, it's one of those episodes that I find frustrating because I kind of would like rewrite this in my head as the way that I would want it to end. And I can see mm-hmm. like it's, in my eye, the thing is that Cisco, once Cisco starts like screaming and telling people to like fire more torpedoes and to get Eddington off of the, the view screen or whatever he's looking at, that feels like the point where Dax's character that at that point feels like she should step in, put the calm hand on his shoulder and say, Benjamin, you know, and he sort of mm-hmm. calms down and realizes like what he's doing at that point. And then he orders like everyone just to go home and he walks into his his ready room or something and just sits there quietly. And then the episode ends. Mm-hmm. They I feel they shoot themselves in the foot here because it comes the ending of the episode seems to imply that what Cisco did, everyone is OK with Starfleet's OK well, they, with it. They they build in this sort of like get out of jail free card by saying, yeah, they just switched planets. <laughs> right. Yeah. Everyone's just, everyone's just back to square one. No one died either is the big thing. Right, so it's, right. it's just that they sort of moved people around. But I, I think that it, to, to me, the episode is more interesting and more unique for Star Trek because it kind of portrays Eddington as being in the right and Cisco is unraveling before mm-hmm. our eyes. And they mm-hmm. give up on that by the very end of it. And I think that it's really unsatisfying for the way that the episode ends. Yeah, I think, yeah, I don't, I, I yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. It doesn't, it it does kind of it does portray what Cisco does as essentially, uh, inarguably the right decision, uh, because it does wrap up so cleanly. Um, and at this point in the series, I I I would have expected a little bit more grayness or uh, self reflection about the actions and the positions that everybody took uh, than what they give us. Like I it was another this is another one where as it was as it was winding down, I thought maybe it was a two parter. Mm. Um, because there seemed to be so much to explore in there. Um, and unfortunately they didn't get the chance to do it and they just sort of, uh, I, 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 I have run into situations like that in the past where I was, I was writing, I, if I was writing my, uh, um, my web comic, I was running out of pages. So I would just be like, um, yeah, here's a good, here's a good point where we can end it. And I would just kind of like condense everything or chop it and be like, all right, this is, this is where we are for now. Right. And that's how it kind of felt. It felt like they had all this stuff going and then they got to a certain point and they were like, shit, we've got like two minutes left in this episode. We don't have time to have a frank discussion about intention uh, or, or sides or anything like that. So let's just have Dax give him a wink and a nod or something. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird ending. Well, it, it's odd because the- especially, sorry, especially coming after an episode like, uh, was it the last one where they, where it's Kira versus the guy? Oh, she the darkness shot? and the light. Yep. Yeah. Is that, was that the last one we did? I think so. No, the begotten yeah. was, it was the one before that, but the, the okay, Odo yeah, change. Yeah. Especially coming so quickly after one like that episode, where the lines are so blurred at the end and there's such a grayness and such a uh, they let you're left with such some um a substantial thing to to think about as far as like who was in the right who was in the wrong etc cetera, etc cetera. it surprises me that they wrap this up so cleanly um and so conveniently at the end i think it's um i think what the the sort of the, the problem is is that there is when they realize that um which I'm not really crazy about the Eddington sends over a copy of Les Mis to them. Like, I don't really like how literal he's just giving them the book yes. and explaining everything is. Yeah. But when Cisco and Dax are having that conversation, Cisco explains his thinking to Dax about what he's going to do, which is that he has to become, he has to become the villain who does something so uh, obscene that the hero will sacrifice himself to stop it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Oh, okay. The w- but the way that they're talking about it, 
makes it sound like Cisco is sort of faking what he's going to do. Like he's going right. to put on a grand exactly. act and do something that he won't actually pull the trigger, but Eddington will think he will. However, yeah. the breaking point for the Cisco character arc there is that Cisco actually loses his mind and starts doing horrible things. So mm-hmm. the fact that the fact that he realizes that and then the ending comes right after that and plays it off as if the tone of the ending scene is as if they had been faking what they were going to be doing. So it doesn't right. really... Cisco isn't called to task about what's going on here. The worst that they do is they have Worf and Kira kind of go like, really? Like, you really want me to fire the torpedoes in this thing? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think that that's the unsatisfying part. I don't. I think that Cisco, the more satisfying angle for the story is not that Cisco fakes it and sort of plays a little like homage to Les Mis. It's that he actually loses control of himself and does something that he kind of regrets at the end, all in the service of getting Eddington to go down. Yeah. yeah. And... I think it's confused about which way it wants to go with those two storylines, but I think that one is far more satisfying than the other one. Yeah, I, I feel like there's uh, there's a scene missing for this that's akin to the uh, uh, the ready room scene towards the end of First Contact, where where Picard's kind of losing it and he's going to blow up the ship and everybody, you know, all that kind of stuff. I feel like this episode is is ripe for a scene like that where. Um, they really get into it with Cisco about his actions or what he's going to do or, or what he has done. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's, it's disappointing that they, they, they don't, they didn't choose to do that. The, I think that the, the other sort of flaw that I have with it is that this is, um, this is not directly the flaw, but it's a very episodic thing of DS9. It's like the serialization of the story running into the hard episodic nature of the way that the show mm-hmm. works, where, mm-hmm. you know, Cisco is portrayed as sort of losing it, although we haven't heard about Eddington for the past 18 episodes. So Cisco's approach to things kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere, which isn't really a problem for me. But here, my problem is mostly... Cisco's perspective for what he's doing, which is portrayed as he is upset that Eddington betrayed Starfleet and mm. betrayed the uniform. I think this would be much more satisfying and much better for the Cisco character if Cisco's real motivation was that he was angry at what Eddington did to Cassidy Yates. Because Cisco mm. is by far the more personally driven of the captains that we've seen so far. Like he's yeah. Kirk and Picard aren't driven by family and personal matters the way that Cisco is. And even if Cisco had a facade of he was doing this for Starfleet, which I don't think really fits the Cisco character at this point because he's kind of the most conflicted captain uh, that we've had. If it was about the fact that Eddington took away Cassidy from him for a while and potentially could have damaged his relationship with her. And it's a callback to how the Borg took his wife away from him. Yeah, yeah. That is something that I think is more believable for Cisco to lose his mind about at the by the end of it. Yeah, I would agree. I think there's an argument though that could be made that um, <clears throat> Cisco has. I mean, maybe they do this in all the Maquis episodes, and I just forget. But uh, Cisco is at a point now where I think it is believable for him to be. He he's definitely uh, holds Starfleet generally in a in a less idealized um, place. Uh, that's kind of his whole character. Yeah, but they've they've really kind of leaned into it in the past couple seasons. Um, so I I could see, the, I could see the way it's played here being effective if you're playing on Cisco trying to maintain his belief in Starfleet. So if it's less about he's he's less mad at Eddington for what he did to Starfleet as much as he is freaking out about the fact that maybe he thinks he was right or you know or right. like he, he he's trying to hold on to this this institution that he's devoted his life to and he's sort of and his questioning thoughts about it and and the the uh, um how right this organization might be is being completely thrown in his face by Eddington. So I could see that being a justification where it's like he he needs to justify that what he did, what Eddington did to Starfleet is a, is a gross violation. For, for that um, to happen, don't you feel that Cisco needs to be a little bit more swayed by Eddington's arguments at some point? You know, I never feel that uh, Eddington gets yeah, through to Cisco know. here. You know, I feel like Cisco is always well, I don't, I don't, antagonistic. I don't know if he needs... I don't know if he needs to be explicitly sympathetic to what Eddington's doing. I I think it's just that 
Cisco's feelings towards Starfleet have evolved so much that something like this could be a uh, a uh, catalyst for his own feel uh, for his own feelings against you know it's just like a redirection of anger kind of it would be right where he 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 doesn't necessarily agree with Eddington's doing but the fact that Eddington did it strikes a chord with him um, that his reaction is way over the top because he's really reacting to his own feelings at that moment than he is to actually to Eddington yeah I, but I, I, that being said I do think that Cassidy Yates. Is probably a good piece that you could have thrown into the puzzle, yeah. Yeah, because I, I mean, I I understand what you're saying about like uh, Cisco sees the worst aspects of what he considers to be his relationship with Starfleet in Eddington. Yeah. I, I think that I don't think that really comes across here because I I think Cisco is written more as he's driven more by the fact that this guy got one over on him. It, it feels yeah. more like. Oh. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, okay. I, I don't think they're explicitly doing what I'm saying. I think the you the, think you could interpret that. I, I I would I would like to. I think interpret- you could. In- yeah, I think you could interpret it that way. Or if you wanted to more specifically, I think you could expand on it that way. Like oh. I think ideally, instead of you uh, you instead of straight up changing the motivation, I think you could uh, extrapolate it out into something that is more. Um, specific to what I what I'm saying than what they did because what they did it's pretty boilerplate what they did they didn't they, I, there's not really a lot there to really sink your teeth into it's some good ideas Which but is I the think frustra- it's good ideas yeah it's the frustrating part of it I think is that there's I feel yeah. like there's a lot of meat that they could have gone with this story and yes. they, they, instead yeah. they had that bizarre ten minute sequence where O'Brien explains all the things that are wrong with the Defiance <laughs> as they're walking through yeah. the engine you know. You know Speaking of that, I was I was on the fence about, you know, one of the reasons why I thought this would be a good movie is because there was there was a couple scenes in it that felt like they they fit more in the tone of a movie uh, than in a TV show where it seemed like the way that they were leaning into certain things felt more like a plot point in a larger story where you have time to kind of waste on this stuff. Yes, yeah, like when they back the Defiant out of the station. Yeah, yeah. where they take like f- 10 minutes just to show you that they're manually piloting the ship or whatever, in which I enjoy. Like I, w- I, at first I was like, "Why the hell are they taking so much time doing this?" But then I was like, "Okay, they're they're getting across the they're trying to get across the point that the defiance, you know, they can't all the just nuke down. They so can't they just have, nuke yeah, the Maquis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got to work together, and it's it, which is fine. But I feel like that belongs in a bigger story. Like I think if you if this was a movie and you were going into your third act with Cisco getting the crew of of Discovery on his side, and them de- the deciding to take out the Defiant, which you thought for the previous two acts of the movie or the previous act of the movie that was like disabled or something. Then I feel like okay, you're kind of setting the tone here for what's going forward. You're laying up laying the stakes for what this ship that is supposed to be all powerful can and can't do now, which is great. But in an forty minutes episode, forty minute episode. I would have gladly sacrificed that scene for a scene at the end where Cisco has to kind of deal with what he did. That's that's my main structural stuff. I would have gotten rid of yeah. 75% of explaining what's wrong with the Defiance to have a longer end scene with Cisco and Eddington and then Cisco coming to terms with what he's decided to do for the greater good, in his opinion. Yeah. Well, you, know what would be, you know what would have been a nice ending too? Even if you don't want to, if you didn't want to have like a long scene where they get into exactly what he did and, you know, how he feels about it and shit. Um, you could have had that scene at the end with, instead of saying it slyly, right, you know, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Dax could have said, you know, you didn't clear this with Starfleet. Um, that's going to be an issue. And then Cisco could have said, well, the telling thing is that when I told them, they didn't bat an eye at it. Yeah. I, you know, like so. Th- the, that the, way, what's funny about the, the t- the funny about the tone is that it's almost joking at the end with Dax. Yes, no, absolutely, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like the end of uh, you know an '80s sitcom where they end in a freeze frame right, after like there, a high five laughing. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what you know what I mean though. It's like if they had if they had had this little thing where she's like, uh, "You didn't tell Starfleet about this," and then he says, "Well, when I did tell them, they were totally fine with it," and then leave it leave that moment to hang a little bit. Then you don't have to get into it, but you're establishing this idea that he did something pretty fucking awful. Yeah, um, that went outside the guidelines of what Starfleet is supposed to do. And when he told them what he did, 
they were fine with it. Yes. You know, what does what does that mean? You know, right. You you'd have to say that I was thinking that he could just say no and then walk off as Dex is sort of like crestfallen. But I think you do have to you do have to deal with the fact that Starfleet needs to be okay with this because the episode ending yeah. without Cisco getting any kind of punishment for what he's done needs to be explained. And I think that you're right and that they have to have that conversation where he it's much it's not joking no one is smiling at the end but it's basically the same dialogue and cisco then admits that star like he did not tell them but starfleet doesn't starfleet does not have a problem with the 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 job is done in starfleet's eyes yeah Yeah. i was i was also expecting maybe uh, the other thing i was expecting at the end was maybe another scene with him and the captain of that other ship Mm. um would he stand up for starfleet's values you think at that point yeah something like that yeah um, cause I liked that one scene that they had where they, where he was telling Cisco he was being taken off the case, essentially. That guy's a good actor, um, a good, uh, good guest yeah, star he was actor. Good. Yeah. He had a good voice. Like I couldn't place it. I, I feel like I've probably heard it in a tar- cartoon or a commercial or something. Um, but yeah, I like, cause I liked that scene where they took Cisco off the case because I, everything he was saying to Cisco, I was like, no, this is a hundred percent justified. Like he should, Cisco should not be on this case. Um, he fooled you, Ben. He fooled you. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I like that. I like that element, and I think it. I yeah, I just I I like I like what they're doing, and I like what they're going for. I just think it's too condensed that it it didn't quite pay off to what it could have been. Yeah. Um. If Deep Space Nine had ever gotten the chance to do a movie, I I wish it would have been the story because I think that would have been really interesting. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's a good movie plot. It's a for all the reasons you say, it's a little bit too condensed, and I think that you could have worked in more confusing motivations for Cisco, which would be Cassidy Yates and the sort of seeing mm-hmm. the darkness in Eddington that he sees, in, or the, the uh, Cisco's unhappy with his perspective of Starfleet and the way that Eddington reminds him of that. Um, I think and then the- Worf could have been like, "Dude, I just went through this with Picard and the Borg. <laughs> Chill the fuck out, <laughs> or I will kill you where you stand." I think. Um, I th- <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be great if they did a callback of that where Worf was like, "You are not Captain Picard, so I will kill you where you stand." Now, and so the yeah, when Cisco tells uh, Worf to fire the 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 torpedoes, Worf gives him that sort of side eye, like, "What are you talking about?" And, and uh, Cisco just calls him a coward, and Worf's like, "How many times? How many times yeah. are we going to go through this?" <laughs> they all they all know exactly what button to push with me. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a um, I think it would have been a good movie. I think it would be. It's a good plot. It's a good. I think what I like about it the most is that it's probably Cisco's most meaty and um, substantial arc of an episode, I think, that he's had. Mm. I, maybe you could argue that the visitor, this is like a very viscerally angry thing. And I think that um, we, I mentioned before when, when the series started that my favorite Avery Brooks and b- people call it uh, it's his growing the beard moments when he sort of shaves his head. It comes a little bit after that, I think. But they eventually start writing... Cisco more angry than he was early on, where he was kind of goofy early on. He's mm. a little bit more pent up and angry. And I think that it it works with the way that everything is playing off in the background. Because what what I think they're doing with the episode is they're just building towards, you know, Cisco had the premonition and rapture that the Dominion War is coming. Um, mm-hmm. They're building towards something. They're trying to show the kinds of tougher decisions that Cisco is eventually going to be placed under. And this is one of the things, it's not actually a war story, but it's a similar kind of like betrayal and traitor aspect to it. Uh, And I think that, I think it's a good performance from Avery Brooks, actually. He's, we talked about in the ship, he was very good. I think he's good here too. He doesn't, Mm. doesn't lose anything. I really, I can't tell if, I I really like the scene where he's punching the, the, the bag saying that like uh, Eddington isn't a changeling. He's not a, 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 Trill, he doesn't have like anything over him. He's just a man who's better than me at that one particular mm-hmm. thing. I think mm-hmm. he's good. I don't know. I, I feel like it's just a little bit wasted. I feel like the performance is for material that isn't quite there for him. And and and, and that makes it feel like the performance is heavy-handed or overdoing it. But I think the performance is right for what the episode wants from him. Yeah, I think so too. Um I was I was debating how well his acting style works at the high angry moments because it's sort of like he's got such a very pronounced way of speaking everything that mm-hmm. when he gets really angry that sort of really stands out because his his voice becomes very 
cut and jumpy and because he has to make sure that every single word comes through and you know it, it feels His diction is impeccable yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and it's like there's it feels very theatrical when he does that um but i guess i don't know i think it, i think it works for the most part um i don't know what i would want him to do differently but you know it's it's just it it's an interesting thing because that that stayed measured way of speaking um is I feel is very effective when he's quieter. When he's smoldering, he's perfect at it. Yeah, yeah, because like it feels it. like he's really considering everything he's saying. Right. Yes. So when <laughs> yeah, he, he's being when polite, he, yeah, basically he's like yeah. he's considering the words that he's about to say to you. So when he goes over the top and starts to lose it, and he still sounds like he's written written these out on note cards that he's studied, but also has the words in front of him just in case he misses one. Yes. Um It it, it has a, an odd feel to it, but I thought he was good. I, I thought. The, uh, yeah, I like that punching bag scene. I like the scenes where he was talking to Eddington and stuff. I like the scene with Dax. Um, yeah, I, th- my, I think it would would have been nice if they had less Victor Hugo in it. Like, yes, I, I yeah. appreciate the references and stuff, and I think it works. But uh, it, 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 I hate when you make references to stuff, and then you have two characters who are like just explaining the themes of that work. And how it relates to that. Yeah. Like in, in Wrath of Khan, I don't feel like they do it that much. They kind of dip at it a little bit. Um, well, Khan, Khan, does, Khan doesn't send over an ebook copy no, of it to, for, for Kirk to read. <laughs> you know, like he, well, I mean, Kirk does have the book, I believe. He has a copy of Moby Dick at the beginning, but I think, the, the, is what the, he's reading with the glasses. But, the way uh, you do it is maybe it's just not uh maybe it's just underestimating the intelligence of the audience but the way the way that i think you work it in in a better script is you just have eddington call him javert throughout the entire thing you know it's like yeah it's not it's not calling attention to the literal theme and the story of the of the book because i think that the the point there comes across strong enough through the episode itself where maybe mm-hmm. a, a better goal would be maybe for if someone were to watch this and then go, you know, what's Lay Miz all about? If it's anything like this episode, it seems pretty interesting. You know what I well, mean? Well, I, I think you have to pay it off a little bit. Like, I, you know, the Moby Dick stuff in Wrath of Khan is surface level enough because everybody knows what Moby Dick is that you don't really have to spend a lot of time on it. You can have Khan just start speaking Shakespeare, I guess, instead. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, with Les Mis, I feel like you have to be, if you're going to have someone obscurely call the, another character Javert, especially if you're going to have the turn that Cisco has in this, I think there's a point where he has to be like, he th- Eddington thinks he's Jean Valjean. That's why he, he thinks he's, he thinks he's this character, like, an, he has to relate it back to the reference. Yes. Um, you don't have to sit there and explain it and, and debate the merits of Victor Hugo's other works. <laughs> but uh, I think you do, if you're going to make that reference, you need to, you need to uh, pay off the reference, uh, um, at least a bit. Yeah, I I really just, I keep coming back to the point, and I just wanted to stress the, the big problem for me there is that Cisco hatching that plan does not feel legitimate in the way that it should. It, it feels like he's putting on an act for everything. And when it comes down to the moment of him finally pulling the trigger and doing it uh, and nuking the planet, he's no longer just playing a role there. Like he has, he right. his self-awareness of what he's become is kind of problematic because he spent the entire scene with Dax explaining how he understands what his role needs to be in this. Mm. And he it should be a more... Like, I, I almost feel for it to make sense in context, he, uh, Eddington should be calling him Javert the entire time, and Cisco is unfamiliar with the book, and then he's reading the book at the end or something. You know, like, mm. the, the the problem is that Cisco is aware of what being Javert means for this story, and he knows what uh, Valjean is. And if he's aware of that, it makes him losing his mind less understandable because it seems like he should be fully in control of the situation at that point. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's I, I've been thinking about that final end scene too, about you know what's unsatisfying about it, and I think what's unsatisfying about this story is that ultimately by doing what Cisco does, he proves Eddington right, doesn't yes, he? Which, which I'm okay with. I think I think Eddington kind of is right in this. Which yeah, but I think I think it's a bad ending to do that. If you come out of this story, 
if you come out of the story with Cisco not realizing what he just did, yes, that, that, then that's I feel the like you've got a problem. Yes. Because Cisco has been so against the Maquis and what they're doing at every turn that the fact that he has now become the enemy that they believe Starfleet to be, and in order to do, and, and, and by doing that, he has, he has won the day, that should be like morally crippling for him. Right. Yes, I, I'd 100%. I 100% agree with that. The, the fact that there's no reflection on Cisco and what he, the fact that they undo it by saying, yeah, we just kind of flip flop planets, everyone's fine. Yeah. And, and the fact that he does not have to reckon with, like, it, it's also weird. It's, I mean, they do it because they have to uh, copulate Miz, but the fact that he catches Eddington is also kind of strange. Um, yeah. I could see him. If he had done something and not caught Eddington, I think that almost leads to more reflection. It feels like catching Eddington allows Cisco to let himself off the hook because he got the job done, where mm-hmm. if he had failed at capturing him and taken this great risk and it didn't pay, and it caused this destruction on some planetary level, that has to be the ending where Cisco's like, Jesus, maybe I maybe I went a little bit too far back there and I have to think about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know... <laughs> It actually reminds me a little bit of our discussion about the last episode of Discovery, where they, in order to uh, win, quote unquote, they do something that is very much uh, unlike Starfleet to do. Uh, And then by destabilizing this entire planet and blah, blah, and then they just leave and they don't really talk about it or consider what they had just done. Yes. Um, And I feel like that's a similar thing here where your whole story has been driving to this, you know, driving along this idea that. The Maquis are doing the wrong thing, and they believe that Starfleet is this, you know, uh, a malicious a- uh, entity. And uh, Cisco is trying to fight against that, and then he ultimately wins by becoming the malicious entity that they think that he is. Yeah. And so that, I mean, that's that's a pretty big fault, I think, by the writers to to not recognize the fact that this is a big deal. Yeah, I'd agree. I think we've. Um We've hit every point I want, and unless you have another point, I'm ready for final thoughts. I'm still I'm still mad about the, the holo- holographic communicator thing. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's just one of the just, after after Captain Pike tore them out of the Enterprise, it became like standard for no ships to have them. And then O'Brien's like, you know what we should bring back? The holographic communicator. Nobody uses it anymore. Pike was the it's original. Like, it's like <laughs> It's like they, uh, it's like they, they had Blu-ray, Blu-ray video in 1980, but it kept skipping too much or something, or nobody had the right equipment, so that's why they switched to VHS and everybody forgot about Blu-ray. Right. Until ten years ago, when people realized you could make high-definition video again. Pike was the original uh, social media influencer. He's like, none of these, yeah. none of these view screens. Get them all out of here, and then we'll we'll come back. Why do you think they made that decision to do that technology in this episode? Um, just because of the amount of intense conversation they need yeah. to have and they don't want to do it on a view screen? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah I think th- th- there needed to be face-to-face stuff happening. And I, I think it was would be... And I mean, I think it would have been less impactful if it was just view screen back and forth. Because um, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of view screen conversations yeah. with everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think it makes sense. Is it something that they keep using for the rest of the series? No, I don't think so. It might come back a couple times, but it's not something that I really Until remember. The, the next episode where Cisco is like, these things don't work. Tear them out of the whole system. <laughs> That's right. We're going to go back to the old view screens. I guess um, Ron Moore always thought it was kind of weird that they talked on view screens, and this was his idea mm-hmm. to do it this way. Um, but yeah, I don't, I I still At least, really use them. Okay. The one thing that they do better than Discovery, which is... 20 years later is they realize that if you are the hologram, you don't know how to interact with the physics of the room that you are being projected into. Right. You just exist so like in your Nintendo thing. Yeah. Yeah. Everything that, that Eddington is doing the movements and stuff, he's just pressing air and looking at nothing because he's doing it on his ship. But in the way they do it in Discovery, they have people like walking around and shit and sitting on stuff. It's like, that's not how these things work. Yeah. No, I agree. Th- not this to is get super nitpicky more- about shit, but I mean, <laughs> if you're going to use something, use it right. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. This is a, a much better um, way of doing it. And it also feels like the person is 
still on their ship when they're talking like because i think eddington or someone is yeah. talking to someone who's not in the view screen so he's like talking to a crew yes. member on his side and you yep. don't see that mm-hmm. guy yeah um all right that's it we're gonna take a break play an audio clip me and claire are gonna come back read some patron thoughts and then give our final thoughts about for the uniform trilithium resin is dissipating throughout the biosphere the maquis are scrambling their transport ships they're starting to evacuate do you realize what you've done i've only just begun I'm going to eliminate every Maquis colony in the DMZ. You're talking about turning hundreds of thousands of people into homeless refugees. That's right. When you attacked the Malinche, you proved one thing. That the Maquis have become an intolerable threat to the security of the Federation, and I am going to eliminate that threat. But think about those people you saw in the caves. Huddled and starving, they didn't attack the Malinche. You should have thought about that before you attacked a Federation starship. Helm! Lay in a course for Tracken 2, Warp 6. Commander, prepare two more torpedoes. Engine break. Set course 050 Mark 179. Can't you see what's happening to you? You're going against everything you claim to believe in. And for what? To satisfy a personal vendetta? You betrayed your uniform! And you're betraying yours, right now! The sad part is you don't even realize it. All right, so patron thoughts about For the Uniform. If you guys support the show on patreon.com slash file, you can leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes. We read them on the podcast. Right now, we are going to be uh, looking at patron comments for For the Uniform. It is Holly McLaughlin first. Cisco forever wins the title of most badass captain, and holy cow, is it fun to watch. The combination of him being a loving father, an atheist space Jesus, and a genuine badass makes him maybe the deepest character among all the captains. And this is one of the episodes that Avery Brooks does it best. Bonus, this episode started all the fun Cisco badass memes. Moving on to Christian Pouch says, For the uniform, I'd watch Cisco yell at people all goddamn day. This is peak rage Cisco, and I love it. In a way, Eddington is almost the good guy of the episode itself. He's heroic and wily and constantly outsmarting Cisco and making quips about his ethics the whole way. Cisco beats him by embracing the role Eddington wants to impose on Cisco in the first place. Ultimately, however, I don't think Eddington is in the right. If you don't like biogenic weapons being deployed on your colonies, maybe you shouldn't deploy them on others. If he's mad that Cisco is placing blame of Eddington's attack on the uh, Malinche, the ship, the the, the other ship of the uh, of the episode that I can't pronounce, Malinche, I think, on these Maquis colonists then he shouldn't be out there portraying himself as a champion for their cause. The Maquis had every opportunity to avoid the whole conflict early on, but they wanted to start a fight. Furthermore, the Cardassian colonists are in much the same shape, but they're Cardassians, so who cares about Cardassian colonists? Am I right? The next uh, comment is... Neil Brennan, for the uniform, awesome stuff. DS9 now clearly has an extra gear it can shift into when the stars align. Matthew Ross, for the uniform, wow. DS9's dark storytelling at its best... I like the question of Cis- as of I like the question as of Cisco's solution. While not only beyond normal Starfleet protocol, arguably a war crime, I feel that Avery Brooks wants secretly to be the villain, the pirate of virtue, if you will. I always found Eddington's total transformation to a complete terrorist a fascinating showing of how the former colonists completely get rid of their Fed background. Honestly, I don't feel bad for the colonists as they were offered alternate housing and chances to restart and help, but they're all petulant. They don't have to be suffering, but they choose to. The tension and hatred Cisco has for Eddington is a complete 180 from his beginnings and shows a darker tone of the story. I like the other ship, the, I'm not going to pronounce the ship, the, the M ship was fooled and taken out, showing once again that the Federation isn't on its game yet. The lack of a computer fully functioning and acting as if the Defiance is a steamship was interesting, showing how much the computer actually does. And again, all the important people leave the station alone. Hey, isn't that how Eddington placed hacks all over the place? And that hollow emitter is the way better than any other Star Trek show. The actors at least turn to what's obviously their side to turn them off. Otherwise, it's a stupid gimmick. Overall, a well-done episode that has tension, action, and a well-done comeuppance, even ending with the realization that they may have to cross the line to win. Stephen Cobb says, Full headlong leap out of Roddenberry's track into a gray world where right and wrong are not clear. Cisco is no longer the captain to look up to. He's now a captain we can relate to, Filled with real and genuine flaws, not just superficial ones like hating Klingons for the murder of his son, but totally getting over it after a wrongful conviction and multiple attempts on his life. Or resentful of being assimilated, but a quick wrestle in the mud and maybe some classic English literature will get him over the hump and back on the black and white path to moral clarity. Zim Nuclear Wessel for the uniform. Between this and Discovery, it seems like holographic communication was a lot like 3D film in the 20th century, something that kept coming back but never caught on. 
Kyle Barrett says, for the uniform, less common. An absolute cracker of an episode that probably is the best Cisco-focused one so far. All Cisco's talk to, of Eddington betraying Starfleet in his uniform can be seen as a little odd, considering Cisco himself finds himself torn between the uniform and his duties as the emissary, having recently chosen the latter during the events of Rapture. That's not a slight in the episode. Instead, it reflects poorly on the Bajor episodes for not showing more of Cisco's dilemma. It's not a problem. I just think that it's more interesting stuff. To, there's more interesting stuff to mine, but they never do. If there's anything I don't like about it, then it's at the very end with Dax joking about being the bad guy. It can be seen as more Starfleet arrogance, but I think I would have preferred a more somber ending. And this is sadly Peter Allen Fields' last Star Trek script, and I think he's one of the franchise's best writers. Thank you very much, patrons. You know, Go ahead. I, I, I hope in the future, when they do these Star Trek shows that take place far in the future, um, <laughs> instead of going back to like Victor Hugo or, or, or Melville, there's, there's a, a plot point that is someone being like, wait a minute, if we just look at this ancient text called the prisoner of Azkaban, <laughs> then it'll give us everything we need to know. Like they always, like I, what's, what's the cutoff for using literature or other things in Star Trek? Cause I, I am on record many times as saying how much I hate the use of the beastie boys song in Star Trek 2009. Yeah. Um, and also I hate the fact that he's driving a 1960 something Ford Mustang. Cause that car would be like 400 years old. Yes. Um, it's like but Red like, Barquetta from Rush. From Rush, he's yeah, kept it in exactly, pristine yeah. condition. Yeah, like what? What is the cutoff as far as like acceptable references? Because like uh, you could you could argue that at some point on on Discovery, Tilly would be like, "This is just like my favorite episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer," <laughs> or, or something. You know, like what what what? It, it's interesting how whenever they reference classics, it's always in reference to what we understand as classics, and not like any sort of forward thinking as to stuff that is probably going to be around for a while now yeah um you know it's it's i find that interesting like they're always listening to classical music yes but then you know then when they do pull out something like the beastie boys you go at least i go i don't like that no (laughs) (laughs) except except i do like it in the third movie because it is a good payoff when they use it again and then bones goes have you seen beyond yet i've not seen beyond i know that i've seen the scene though where they they use it yeah there's a good payoff where Bones is listening and he goes, is that classical music? <laughs> Which I appreciate. <laughs> I guess it's just because they like the, um, they just like the uh, archetype of the story, I guess there. Yeah. But yeah, like if you redubbed this where instead of uh, Eddington and Cisco calling each other Javert and Valjean, they were called each other like Anton Chigurh and Llewellyn Moss or something. And you'd yeah, be like, or like Harry Potter and uh, right. what's his name? Voldemort. Voldemort, uh, Voldemort yeah. Yeah, um, yeah there's, there's I, I a great, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Reign of Fire. Uh, the dragon movie? Is, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, middle of the road movie. I really enjoy it. I think as far as action movies, sci-fi movies that were coming out at the time, which was like early 2000s, I thought it was great because it was doing something different. It's got a great cast. It's got a Christian Bale, Woody Harrelson. No, not Woody Harrelson. McConaughey. Uh, Matthew McConaughey <laughs> yeah. and uh, Gerard Butler in it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's so this this post this post apocalyptic thing where there's dragons and dragons have destroyed the world and there's small pockets of people who are still living. And there's, uh, they have all these kids, de- uh, and they're putting on a show, like this big theatrical show. Um, and what they're doing is they're acting out the uh, I Am Your Father scene from Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And the kids are reacting as though it's, they're watching a, a classic play, and it's being, pre- it's being presented as a uh, classical myth- mythological story that's being passed down, sure. which I always, I've always appreciated, because it, it, I mean, that's more or less what it is at this point. Um, but yeah, I'm surprised that they don't do that stuff more because uh, I think it's tough. I, I guess I'm not surprised because I guess it's kind of tough to pull it off uh, without it seeming really hokey. Well, it's, it would seem it would all seem like the Beastie Boy stuff. It would be like, oh, yeah, yeah. we see what audience you're you're aiming for here, I suppose, yeah. with this stuff. Yeah. Plus, people don't people don't read anymore anyway. So why don't you just go back to a time when people read and quote uh, Hugo and Shakespeare and Melville. And I think we'll all move on. Yeah, it would be more accurate if they were like, you've read... If Dex was like, I couldn't make it through Hunchback of Notre Dame, the audiobook was terrible. <laughs> well, they'd have a, a holographic omitter of Hugo, like reading it aloud to you or something at that yes, point. You wouldn't yeah. just be listening. You'd see the hologram <laughs> there in front of you. Yeah. Uh, 
So that's it. We're done with, well, we're not done. We're going to give our final thoughts, but it's for the uniform. Clay, why don't you go first with what you thought on our one to five scale? Uh, I'm going to give it a four because I think I, you know, this is when, as I was watching it, I was, I, I wanted to give it a five because I was hoping it would cross into that territory. Cause I like the ideas. I like the plot. I like what they were trying to do. Um, but yeah, I just think it was too hampered by all the stuff we've talked about to really push it into all timer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd give it a five. I'd give it a four. I, I really enjoyed it. A lot of potential, but, uh, not quite there. Yeah. I'd give it a four as well. Um, I really like what they were trying to do. It does feel just a little bit hamstrung by everything we talked about there. And it's just to, to the point where, um, yeah, you never hit that extra gear of you're like, oh man, this is an all time episode. You're, you're waiting yeah. for it to happen. And then you look at the end and there's six minutes left and they nuke the planet. And you're like, there's not enough time to really clear up what they're going to be going for, mm-hmm. uh, which is too bad. It's too bad. Cut out the 10 minutes of the Defiance O'Brien explaining what's wrong with everything and them sort of backing out of the station and flying around. And I think you had something there at the end. Um, that's it. Peter Allen Fields' last DS9 script. I think he has an idea for a story credit later on, but he does not have, maybe he doesn't have another script. Um, that's it. Thank you very much, guys. Me and Clay are both going to give this one a four. It seemed like the patrons liked it a little bit more than we did, or at least they they ignored the uh, criticisms and what they were uh, thinking about and focused on the positives for it. But here's a good episode. We'll be back uh, next week with... In Purgatory's Shadow and by Inferno's Light, which is where the Cisco premonitions in Rapture start to come true. So we meet the locusts. Um, and that's it. I think we're done. Thank you very much for listening. All the social media links will be there. It's Twitter, Facebook, blah, blah, blah. Discord is there. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you want to go to PayPal, there's a PayPal link. If you want to buy a shirt or a cup, you can go to the Teespring link, which is down below. You can buy some stuff and support the show that way. And I think that's it. Mention the show on Reddit or any other place that internet people gather and uh, get information from each other. And that would be much appreciated. Thank you very much for listening. Clay, do you have anything you want to say or add? Uh, no. Check out Badass Podcast and check out uh, Radio Star Murders. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Both continuing. Uh, we just came out with the Meatloaf one. And I think the one that we have coming up is Prodigy, uh, the episode yes. after this episode comes out. So you can look forward to that. Smack my bitch up. Change my pitch up. <laughs> Where we do, where we find out whether, in fact, he does smack his bitch up. Maybe they should have used, uh, instead of the Beastie Boys, they should have used that in this episode when Cisco finally captures Eddington (laughs) at the end. They just blast smack my bitch up. There's got to be uh, 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 an internet thing somewhere where people cut in different songs into that scene from Star Trek Beyond. Yeah. Like uh, like the thing in The Simpsons (laughs) where... uh, Homer and Wiggum are, are taken off in the car to uh, to chase down Marge and her friend, and he's like, "Let's roll!" and he clicks his radio on, and it's sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. <laughs> Was that the Thelma and Louise ep- uh, parody yes, that they were yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's it. Thank you guys very much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Uh, and I think that's it. We will be back with more Discovery coverage, and then we have the double episode two-parter DS9 next week. So. Thank you very much for listening. We will see you next time.